This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, as was um, hoped, uh, the agreement to extend the Israel-Hamas truce has uh, been extended to two days now, um, another two days, according to Qatar's foreign ministry. Qatar, along with Egypt, of course, has been the key mediator in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. The announcement comes on the final day of a four-day truce between the warring sides as they were preparing for a fourth exchange of militant-held hostages for Palestinians in prison by Israel. On Sunday, Hamas freed 17 more hostages, 14 Israelis and three ties. In a third exchange under the four-day truce, in return, uh, Israel has released 39 Palestinian prisoners of the roughly 240 hostages captured by Hamas in its October 7th attack in southern Israel. 62 have been released. One was freed by Israeli forces and two were found dead inside Gaza. Israel has said it would extend the ceasefire by one day for every 10 additional hostages released. Hamas has also said it hopes to extend the truce. With the truce deal has come increased shipments of fuel and supplies into Gaza, although aid groups say it's barely enough to put a dent in the needs of the 2.3 million Palestinians Palestinians, in Gaza who have endured weeks of Israeli siege and bombardment. More than 13,300 Palestinians estimated to have been killed since the war began. Roughly two-thirds of them women and minors, according to the Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza, which does not differentiate between civilians and combatants. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he will press ahead with the war after the ceasefire expires. Some 1,200 people have been killed in Israel, mostly during the initial incursion by Hamas on October the seventh at least 77 soldiers have been killed in israel's ground offensive so the truce extended for another two days beyond the four-day um, truce well in local news um, some heavy weather is coming our way with uh, wind and storm surge warnings for many areas including the southeast coast environment canada meteorologist david neal joins me now well, hello, David. Hello, how are you today? Great. So we had a pretty good weekend, all things considered. A little bit of snowfall in areas. Any Anything stand out there? Uh, well, no, yeah, it was all, overall pretty decent uh, overall. Like I said, a little bit of uh, a little bit of snow that uh, fell over the uh, over the weekend there, but uh, overall, uh, not too bad of a uh, of a weekend overall for a lot of areas. So uh, certainly, um, even uh, t- today for the most part isn't too too bad, but uh, uh, certainly got a, a little bit of weather coming in uh, now very soon. Yeah, so I understand. So it was, uh, even though, you know, it wasn't that bad a weekend, uh, it was uh, incredibly cold. I noticed the front and the back decks were pretty frosty and slippery looking. Um, But uh, we're getting a bit of a warm up. Tell us what's going on with this, this weather we're getting. 
Uh, so, yeah, so what we have right now is a pretty uh, broad system uh, that's making it, that's going to track its way across the province pretty well. The system extends from, uh, really uh, going to extend from northern Quebec all the way down to uh, uh, well south of the island. So a very, very broad area. But what that's going to do is going to bring up some milder air uh, over uh, across uh, much of the island and even insofar as uh, southeastern Labrador, uh, really kind of getting through uh, the overnight hours tonight in uh, more western areas and more sort of west-southwestern areas, and then by tomorrow morning, uh, really elsewhere across the island. Uh, with that, predominantly, we're looking at precipitation that will fall as, uh, as rain, uh, but the, uh, right about, uh, as we're looking right now, really the big, uh, the big things we're looking at with this system are some uh, quite strong winds, uh, quite strong southeasterly winds that are going to spread uh, pretty well right across the island. Uh, so we do have some wind warnings out for uh, several coastal areas, uh, basically the entire west coast of the island, uh, the northern peninsula, as well as a few areas along uh, the east and northeast coasts, uh, and that all includes the Avalon as well. Uh, so what we're expecting there is uh, wind gusts, uh, peak wind gusts in those areas under the warning uh, that could get up to 100 uh, kilometers an hour or a bit stronger. Uh, along the west coast, we expect uh, the strongest winds uh, to, uh, to come out of the southeast. Of course, Rec House of the southeast uh, uh, does see those, uh, those, wind, uh, those wind enhancements there, but also parts of the west coast. Expecting gusts generally uh, anywhere from uh, 110 to 130 kilometers an hour in the strongest winds. Uh, that's really the big ticket there. Now, the other thing we're uh, keeping an eye on is uh, water levels in the southwest. Uh, so we do have a storm surge warning in uh, for coastal areas from uh, Port of Bass to Gray River. Really areas that are lower lying along the coast and south to southeast facing uh, coastlines. Uh, near the high tide tomorrow morning, uh, could see some, some high waves and some high water levels and uh, there is a, uh, there is a, uh, a risk of, of, uh, of localized flooding with that as well. So a couple of, a lot of things to consider with this storm uh, for, for much of the island. So that's the uh, the wind and the and the storm surge concern, but uh, we're getting precipitation as well. What can we expect? Absolutely. So we're going to see uh, rain is going to move in uh, to uh, really southwestern Newfoundland uh, uh, tonight. That's going to eventually spread its way across uh, across the island by tomorrow morning, by Tuesday morning. Uh, on the northern peninsula and parts of the northwest, uh, you could see some uh, the precipitation kind of start off as snow or a rain-snow mix. Uh, but but, but uh, certainly by uh, by late morning or noon, uh, basically the entire island will be, uh, uh, the rain will be spread across the entire island. Uh, right now, in terms of uh, rainfall uh, totals, not really expecting uh, anything, not really expecting to, to get towards warning, but uh, certainly the southwest coast, basically the same areas I mentioned uh, under the storm surge warning, those areas could see uh, rainfall amounts. Right now, forecast uh, generally in the 20 to 40 millimeter range, but you could see a few local areas that could see higher than that. So something else we're, uh, we're keeping an eye on. Uh, elsewhere, as I mentioned, uh, not really looking uh, at uh, too, too big amounts looking on the northern peninsula, uh, basically uh, looking at uh, rainfall totals, kind of generally uh, 10, to 20, uh, 10 to 20 millimeters. Maybe some areas you may see a little bit less than that. Uh, and then generally across the island, you're looking at amounts that are, that are going to be quite in similar range. So um, again, a, a quick shot of, uh, of rain uh, across the island, but uh, yeah, definitely those uh, southeast winds and, uh, uh, and in the southwest, a storm surge is something we're going to be keeping a, a very, very close eye on. Any estimates on, on uh, how high those uh, water levels are supposed to get on the southwest coast? 
Uh, well, what we're seeing uh, with uh, the wave, our wave heights, we're seeing uh, max wave heights upwards of about four to six meters. Uh, but then also, you that's one component with it. You get that uh, additional bit of storm surge with, uh, and then the uh, obviously the wind waves and uh, and the tides as well um, are quite high right now. So all that together uh, brings out bring, is going to bring those uh, those water levels up uh, up fairly high. So looking at some uh, some pretty high water levels that are going to be coming in there but uh, yeah certainly in terms of waves looking at about four to six meters or so uh near high tide on uh, on tuesday morning uh tides are upwards of around high tides upwards of around two meters or so uh so uh gonna see uh, that uh, getting kind of close to uh to the point where uh, you could start to see some uh, some very localized low-level flooding so uh, I suppose uh, people on the southwest coast in particular need to be aware of that and prepared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, this, uh, you know, obviously the benchmark was, was Fiona. That was obviously a very, very uh, serious uh, uh, circumstance there. We're not going to see anything to that level with this storm, but it is still something uh, for for, uh, for people living in those areas to uh, something to continue to keep an eye on, especially as we're going through the fall and early winter, where we're going to start to see some uh, some pretty uh, in uh, pretty intense storms that are going to be uh, come, that uh, usually come up through uh, this time of year. So certainly something to uh, to keep watch on and uh, and keep uh, to keep looking at their uh, local forecasts. David Neal, uh, thank you very much. Hey, not a problem. Thanks for having me. So the big story there, uh, the wind uh, primarily and that storm surge, uh, particularly in the area of the southwest coast. And any time we hear about these types of storms, especially in the wake of Fiona, uh, concerns are automatically heightened. So uh, with any luck, we won't see any um, damage from uh, what's to come, but it's always wise to be prepared. Well, coming up, three people were arrested and released pending an ongoing investigation that resulted in the cancellation of the downtown Santa Claus parade yesterday. We'll get a little update on that. This is News Talk on VOCM. When you or Christmas cash with a VOCM Cares for the Community 50-50 draw. Buy your tickets until December 16th at VOCMcares.com. And it was a disappointment for many hoping to attend the downtown Santa Claus Parade in St. John's yesterday. An unfolding police operation in the area of Brazel Street caused RNC to notify officials to postpone the event. And although police were called to the area around 6.30 in the morning to uh, reports of gunshots, the warning to shut down the parade didn't come until many people were either already on the parade route or on their way downtown. That's led to uh, questions about whether or not uh, any kind of notification should have gone out a little bit earlier than that. I spoke with Constable James Cadigan earlier today. So tell us now, what uh, what happened on Sunday? When did the RNC first start getting the calls and what were the nature of those calls? Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, shortly after uh, 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, uh, the patrol officers of the RNC responded to multiple reports uh, that there had been gunshots heard uh, in the downtown area, specifically near Brazel Street, uh, and also a report that there was a potentially uh, armed person who had access to property there on Brazel Street. So on arrival, the officers quickly contained that region of the downtown uh, blockading roads and uh, moving on to containing a specific property on Brazel Street. Once uh, the officers had contained a property on Brazel Street, uh, 
they began calling upon resources of the RNC. Uh, in these containment scenarios, you know, you would have an incident commander, uh, you know, and tactics and rescue units, essentially resources that have the means to contain a property where there's a potentially armed person. Uh, so once you uh, once we respond to an event of this nature, you know communication with the occupants of a property is imperative. Uh, you know, and once that uh, difficulty with communication was was uh, occurring, you know we began to move to evacuate some properties in the area, and uh, you know anywhere we determined that there was a concern for for public safety. Uh, furthermore, you know, we're communicating with area residents and providing public communication as to what uh, we want the community to do to remain safe. So uh, in an area there contained by Lamarchant Road, Casey Street, and Barters Hill, we maintained containment of a property on Brazel Street. So as the event played out, there were, uh, you know, essentially many risk assessments completed throughout the morning. And... Uh, Certainly, we had a unique scenario with uh, the Christmas parade planned for around noon uh, on Sunday. So uh, as we approached that time and, and continued to uh, attempt communication with the occupants of that property, you know, it was determined that we still did not have enough information to confirm the safety of the uh, overall uh, community there. And, uh, you know, it's the unknowns that are of concern, you know, the unpredictability. Uh, Really, timelines are very difficult to predict uh, in this situation. And, uh, you know, so as the process plays out, we're determining, you know, what risks are at play. And, and to have a large volume of individuals, you know, families and children attending the area, you know, of the downtown. And in some cases, it would be within 100 meters or so of the area we had contained related to this firearms event you know, near the, the uh, Delta area of the downtown. Uh, so it was determined that, uh, you know, we would move to, you know, advise that, you know, to have those individuals in the area would be a risk to their safety. So at these types of scenes, uh, typically, how is communication established and how did you get communication established in this particular uh, scenario? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I mean, we, we attempt multiple you know, types of communication, whether it be, you know, a loudspeaker, uh, you know, but in this case, it was a cell phone that, uh, you know, the tactics and rescue unit were able to breach the front entrance of the property and place a phone inside, uh, you know, and, and did so safely. And it was a short time after that occurred that we were successful in obtaining communication with the occupants of the property. And it was through that level of communication that, uh, the occupants were directed to come out one at a time and were taken into custody without incident. So uh, three people, I understand, taken into custody. Um, any, you know, charges yet? Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, so the investigation remains active at this time. You know, the investigators are uh, obtaining a judicial authorization to search that property. And, uh, you know, so at this time, we maintain a presence in the downtown area on Brazel Street. And uh, that will be the case until we've concluded that uh, particular portion of the investigation. So with the parade uh, pending, um, and I know you um, touched on this, but at, at what stage do, I mean, and how do you communicate to the public, um, you know, the, the level of concern you have in a particular area? Certainly. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, this 
began for us at 6.30 in the morning. And I know the question is, why not make a move at that time with the knowledge that a parade would happen that day? And, And when it comes to the events of this nature, it's the unpredictability. You know, we would hope to resolve an event quickly, but in in cases where we're dealing with firearms events, um, you know, we need to act in a strategic manner, promoting the safety of the community as a priority. Uh, You know, we began evacuating properties, communicating with area residents, and, you know, establishing a public communication strategy around this response. And when the time came that, you know, we have to consider uh, you know, that we're nearing a time where there will be a large volume of individuals attending the downtown area, you know, which was a unique aspect of this event. You know, it was, uh, you know, a risk factor that, you know, we didn't often have to consider when, uh, you know, establishing containment of a property in the downtown. So when, we, you know, we look at the risk factors that, you know, within 100 meters of the area we had contained, there would be a large volume of of people attending a parade that became a significant concern to uh, you know our our officers and and the investigative team their incident commanders so uh, the decision was made to provide that communication to you know the city uh, you know St. John's Regional Fire Department and downtown St. John's to ensure that they can make uh, communication on their behalf that we want to postpone this event. And could that not have been done earlier or, um, you know, so what kind of factors would have come into play there? Uh, certainly. I mean, in, in an ideal world, you know, we want to provide information as early as possible, uh, you know, but the challenges we face with an unpredictable event of this nature, you know, we need to, first of all, uh, ensure the safety of the immediate residents, evacuating properties and uh, communicating with area residents. And then, consider that there, there are the unknowns, you know, what is the intent of the armed person, the potentially armed person, you know, and w- what information can we validate at this stage? So there is an investigative process playing out while we have the properties contained, working to validate information and confirm, you know, uh, essentially what we've received at this point. So uh, that, that process does take time and also communicating with organizations such as the city and so on, you know, that process takes time as well to make sure that they understand what we have and what our concerns are. So it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, we understand the frustration with, you know, making a decision to cancel such a staple of an event. Uh, but, you know, it, it was specifically in the interest of public safety and ensuring that any family who would attend, you know, would not place themselves in danger. So what is the nature of the investigation now as as it stands? I mean, right now the investigation is into, you know, potential firearms offenses. Uh, it's ongoing. And, uh, you know, until we have more details related to the search and uh, any evidence, uh, you know, obtained, you know, uh, we won't really know what charges or if charges will be laid in this case. So it's uh, really pending further investigation at this time. We have identified three individuals who were inside the property, and uh, they have been released pending further investigation. And are all three suspects, or they were just present at the time? So what I can tell you is that those three individuals were inside the property, you know, for the period of time that we had the property contained, and uh, they were the three who peacefully uh, exited the property at uh, 3.30 yesterday, uh, Sunday afternoon.
James Cadigan, do keep us up to date. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Certainly no problem. And uh, the investigation continues there, um, and they um, are um, still in the process of trying to determine whether any charges or if charges will be laid in that particular case. Uh, the reports came in as uh, multiple shots fired in that area early yesterday morning, and uh, police arrived on the scene around 6.30, and um, the uh, three people inside the home exited the home peacefully at around 3.30 in the afternoon. The call to um, uh, postpone the parade came, um, I don't, don't know the exact time frame, but it was about an hour or so before the uh, parade, uh, which left a lot of people disappointed because there were a lot of people who were e either already heading down there or had already secured their uh, place in the uh, along the parade route, uh, only to learn that the parade had been canceled. Now, most people would agree uh, it was the right decision to make, uh, but uh, some question why it took so long to come to that uh, determination. And um, uh, Constable James Cadigan just uh, explained some of the uh, reasoning and the reasons why um, over the last little while. So any thoughts on that? You're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, the NLC releases its uh, second quarter results and cannabis sales are way up. This is News Talk on VOCM. Santa Calls returns December 4th to your VOCM. And we are back, and we are going to go to our lines now and speak with Nikki. Hello, Nikki. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, I just wanted to call in because, um, you know, a lot of going on about the parade and about the RNC's job, but I just want to say, like, I think to, because... We never had that happen before, and it was kind of a big deal. It's scary to everyone, so it's definitely scary to them too. So I think that they did do the good call to um, make sure every. And I mean, no one was hurt, so I mean, it was a great thing that really happened. And we got to look at it on the bright side, you know. Well, indeed, and um, you know, if they had um, issued a, a, a cancellation of the parade, and yeah. then it was all resolved peacefully, well ahead of the parade time, people would have been questioning that. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned yeah. if you don't kind of scenario. You're right, and then, and the kind of thing like us, like to me, I live in a general area, so me and my daughter and our friend were walking out the road and. We were like, everyone was walking back, and they were like, go, go home. It was like, you know, you can't create something. Like, imagine if the police had have told them at a certain time when they found out. Imagine how, you know, it was scary for them, too, and you just can't create a mess. It would have been so much more chaotic, you know? Well, indeed, it, uh, it was a tough, uh, tough call. But uh, I think in the end, a lot of people agree that, you know, it had to be done. Um, yeah. But uh, do you think they should have maybe uh, canceled it sooner so not as many people were heading to the downtown or in the downtown at the time? Well, I think that we don't give the, our RNC and our police officers enough credit because, like he said, he had to close down the roads. They had to do all this in that general area. And they were literally keeping everyone safe and quiet because if everyone knew, it would have been like 
people would have been banging into each other. You know what I mean? Like, it was scary. Oh, yeah, for certain. And, uh, of course, we still don't know uh, exactly what the nature of that particular operation was all about. Uh, the call, the initial call came in as multiple gunshots fired in the oh. area around 630 yesterday morning. So you can just imagine uh, the yeah. general feeling in, in that area. Exactly. And if, and we felt like it as, as uh, like, you know, I'm sure the police were just, you know, that's their job to, you know, to go out and serve and protect. But they were just as unaware as what we, we were, you know. So I think uh, sometimes it takes time to, like, you know, because up in Vancouver, my brother said this to me. He said, Nikita, this happens all the time. But not here in Newfoundland does this happen. You know what I mean? I, don't, I think this is the first downtown Christmas parade that this happens. Well, hopefully uh, we'll have a parade that goes ahead uh, no problem now next weekend. And we don't have any, because we had perfect weather for it yesterday, <laughs> which right. is too bad. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, but. so uh, hopefully now the, the weather holds for next weekend. Yes, and you know. And, and that I Santa's not too busy, because there's lots of other parades on the go. You're right, you said it. And like I said, it's just for the kids, you know. At the end of the day, it's all about the kids. Nikki, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. All right. You have a great evening. Thank you for your time. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, And Nikki there um, saying that... uh, you know, there are probably all kinds of reasons why it was canceled uh, at that particular time. Uh, so, um, we were going to talk with uh, the NLC president and CEO. Um, NLC issued its second quarter results, uh, and despite a sec- uh, sluggish market, NLC cannabis sales are soaring. Uh, well, Bruce Keating joins me now. Well, hello, Bruce Keating. Hi there. How are you doing? Great. So the NLC has released its uh, second quarter performance results. And while things are relatively consistent, uh, what are you finding overall? Are Is the cost of living having any kind of an impact on operations? Yeah, I think that's one of the things we found during the year. And uh, as we're reporting now our Q2, uh, our second quarter results, for us that covers July, August, and September. So two of the summer months plus uh, September as we get into the fall season. Um, but I think the overall economic conditions, we do see that having a little bit of a an effect on the marketplace overall. And as you say, the results are pretty consistent with the previous uh, uh, quarter two last year. Uh, but we think we are seeing that effect of inflation, higher interest rates, and so on. And I think generally just people having less disposable income than what they've had in past years because of those factors. Beer up a bit, I see. Yeah, beer is up uh, a little bit, uh, as is the what we would call the ready-to-drink category, and spirits are up slightly as well. Uh, for the quarter, overall beverage alcohol sales were at about $83.5 million, and that was about a 1.4% increase over the same period last year. Um, now, what that does for our, our kind of the half-year results, it puts us almost exactly where we were this time last year after the first two quarters combined. Um, so, like I said, that's a little bit of the softening that we've seen. And when we look at it on a on a month-by-month basis, what we saw was that April, May, June was slower, and it's kind of strengthened a little bit as we've continued to go through the year, and we're cautiously optimistic that we'll see that continuing as we kind of continue on uh, from here. 
The real story I see for the second quarter, though, are cannabis sales. Cannabis sales have continued to be strong, and I think that in one part is because it's a still a relatively new and growing area. So from our point of view, like I say, the, the, the important thing there is from a policy perspective, we're now estimating that we've captured 72% of the illegal market. So from, from that point of view, that's been a real success story. And I think when we see the kind of growth numbers that we see there, um, you know, we're estimating total retail, retail cannabis sales this past quarter. Uh, being up uh, 30% over last year. So that's a significant increase. One factor for that is that vape has been legalized in the past year. So that's been a factor that's pushed those numbers up, Uh, whereas in the prior year numbers, we didn't have those. Uh, But secondly, I think it speaks well to the fact that the legal products that we're putting out there are the products that people want to buy, and therefore they're making that move from the illicit market over into the legal market. And how's uh, thing? How are things going on the enforcement side of things? On the enforcement side, uh, things have gone very, very well. And I think, uh, in particular, on the cannabis side, what our regulatory team has found is, as we kind of get into the seventy percent of legalization, we're seeing much less incidents, and we're seeing much less in the way of intelligence net concerning illicit operations. And we kind of feel that we're getting to that point where. It's having a real impact on illicit operators and on the illicit market. And in effect, like I say, we're starting to see a real signs now that the illegal operators are kind of getting out of that market uh, just given what's happened over what is now five years of legalization for cannabis. Any other notable results in this last quarter? Well, I think also on the cannabis, we, in the past quarter, we opened four new retailers uh, in the province, and we're continuing to do that to make sure people have access to safe and uh, legal product. So we did open up new locations in Bayvert, Glovertown, Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, and in Springdale, and that's actually seven new locations that we have uh, so far this year. Uh, that process will continue. On the beverage alcohol side, people in Mount Pearl, Grand Falls, Windsor, Port of Bath, and Stephenville, and uh, at our Pearlgate location in Mount Pearl as well. Uh, we'll have seen the benefits of the renovation program that we have in our corporate stores. And uh, it just continues to be busy. We're continuing to work on all fronts uh, on our beverage alcohol, on cannabis, with social responsibility and uh, regulatory and so on. So it's been a busy quarter, but we're excited about the balance of the year. Bruce Keating, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Linda. And Bruce Keating is the president of uh, president and CEO of the Newfoundland and Labrador Liquor Corporation. Well, coming up, we'll get a, a few more stories out of uh, Gaza, and uh, the Community Sector Council holds a ver- its very first well-being fair. What's that all about? Well, we'll hear from CEO Colin Corcoran when we come up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Make a request anytime by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. Your Merry Christmas station is back. Your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the Community Sector Council holding its very first well-being fair at the St. John's Farmers Market today. The event goes on until 7 o'clock this evening. VOCM's Richard Duggan popped down and uh, spoke to a number of people, including uh, Community Sector Council CEO Colin Corcoran. So today at the Farmer's Market, uh, we're hosting the first ever well-being fair uh, for uh, the community sector. So uh, here at the Farmer's Market, you're going to see over 40
45 community groups and organizations that are actively contributing to well-being in our communities. And they're showcasing the services that you provide. They're showcasing how they contribute to your overall wealth, uh, overall uh, well-being and uh, health. And, of course, uh, they're also uh, demonstrating the value that community sector organizations have for our province. It's been a trying couple of years between the pandemic and the cost of living. Why is this an important event to, ho- to hold? I think it's important now that ever um, since um, the onset of the pandemic and now going into the Christmas season and all the challenges that we see in broader society that we really take a pause and uh, take a look around us and understand who's doing some good work in our communities, who is taking care of uh, those who are at most at risk in the community, but also yourself for individuals within our province as well. So for us, it's uh, all about showcasing and highlighting the fact that the community sector and the number of organizations, the thousands of organizations, are actively contributing to your well-being. So tell me about uh, some of the vendors here today. How many do you have? And give us a give us a taste of uh, what people can find here. Oh, there's a huge diversity of vendors that are here today. Uh, we have uh, everything from Elder Dogs Canada here who are uh, talking about uh, uh, canine therapy. Uh, we also have a massage, mas- massage company on site uh, providing 15-minute free massages, which is fantastic, that quick little self-care moment. We even have iBike Camp here and Bike NL, uh, the East Coast Trail, uh, uh, we have uh, the real program. We have our own CSC. We got food first, food producers for them. Uh, there's there's a little bit of everything here. And on top of all the uh, vendors that are here today and all the organizations that are contributing, we're also running uh, a series of presentations, uh, including our own um, uh, chief medical officer of health, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, who's doing a, a talk on well-being. Now, as you mentioned, this is the first ever uh, event of this kind. Are there any plans to do it again? Judging by the room, the first couple minutes of opening, absolutely. Uh, We would love to do this event again. And in particular, we would love to see this event uh, province-wide. So a good turnout at the uh, St. John's Farmers Market today for the Community Sector Council's first well-being fair. And they had all kinds of neat uh, kind of, um, what would you call them, Vendors, booths, vendors, booths. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all about self care and you know taking that moment to, I guess, focus. Yeah, and it's so important to do it this time because that's the part that's so neglected by so many. I feel that we all get caught up in the hustle and bustle, and it, it's almost the antithesis of what the season is about. How we act, but we need these types of events to say yes. It, we do have to step back and take care of ourselves so we can uh, enjoy the holidays and take care of our loved ones too. Don't be talking. <laughs> I, uh, what happened? Uh, on a Friday, you know, I was yes. like, yay, weekend, you know. Uh-huh. And like I, I was driving into work uh, this morning and I was like, I need a break from the weekend. It uh, was flat out. We so were true. flat out. Yeah. Flat out. You're going to be on bust right up until had Christmas. Had a moment to breathe, we'll say. But it you know the it's the onus is on all of us to take that moment to breathe and to take that moment and go to things like that which we didn't so both of us we deserve a slap on the wrist (laughs) for not going okay I'm just th- just thinking, that's causing me even more stress know, now, that, Claudia. You know Thank what? you. That was the opposite of what I intended. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. You are so right. Even me Now I feel the pressure that. to take care of myself. <laughs> 
Oh, we need to re- we need to restart this. I'm joking, of course, but uh, yeah, no, it's important for us all to remember those things. And a lot of people roll their eyes and say, "Yeah, right. What am I supposed to find the time to do that?" But that's the problem, isn't it? We have to try and carve out that time. It is, and I find that too. Sometimes we use rest as a, a reward, but rest is a necessity. Absolutely. So it's something that we need to carve into our daily routine or weekly routine as part of our health. Yep. You oh. know, how often, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll rest now when I get this done, that done, and that done. Yeah. And I didn't even sleep in the weekend, which is, uh, I do try to sleep in a little yeah. bit, but not, not a lot. I don't, you, you know, traditionally sleep in very late. You know, I might give myself an extra half hour, an hour. Right. But uh, this weekend, I was a nope, hit the ground running, boom, boom, gone. And now you're back right? at work. And, and so. uh, yeah, and so I'm feeling like I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm sure this is a familiar refrain to an awful lot of listeners. I would suspect it is, but it's nice to, you know, have those conversations that we just heard as a little gentle nudge in the right direction for next year. There you go. (laughs) And uh, uh, just so you know, uh, Richard Duggan did interview Dr. Janice Fitzgerald, who spoke not on COVID, not on flu, not on respiratory uh, illnesses or anything like that. She spoke about taking care of yourself just in a general Mm -hmm. wellness kind of way so you're going to want to hear that conversation we'll have that on our morning show tomorrow so uh, look forward to that well uh, you know we talk about some of the hustle and bustle going on here it's nothing like what we're seeing unfold uh, before our eyes in Gaza or Israel and uh, there are a lot of stories coming out uh, now that uh, hostages on the Israeli um, Israeli hostages, I should say, are being released on the Gaza side, and um, um, Palestinian prisoners are being released on the Israeli side. Lots of stories coming out now, and one of them includes a uh, 25-year-old Israeli Russian hostage who was released from Gaza on Sunday night, who told his family members he was able to flee from his captors and hide within Gaza for a few days before being recaptured. Can you just imagine? His uh, aunt told Israeli Public Radio that he said he was taken by uh, terrorists, sorry, and they brought him into a building, but the building was destroyed by Israeli bombing, and he was able to flee, Yelena Majid, the aunt of uh, Ronnie Krivoy, said in an interview on Monday. He was trying to get to the border, but she says, I think because he didn't have the resources to know where he was and which direction in which to flee, he had some trouble. She added that he told her in a phone conversation that he was able to hide himself for four days before Gaza residents discovered him and returned him to Hamas captivity. One thing that gave us hope from the start, she said, is that he's a boy who's always smiling and he can figure things out in any situation. Just imagine, that's one of the stories that have come out of all of this. Um, And uh, uh, while this ceasefire is underway, uh, a lot of people hoping, uh, praying that the ceasefire holds beyond the extra two days that they uh, both sides have agreed to. Um, But uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has indicated that uh, fighting will return. once the hostage agreement or um, uh, ceasefire ends. But in the meantime, um, Berlin expert, uh, sorry, experts from the United Nations have called for full and independent investigations 
into any crimes committed by Israel and Hamas in their ongoing conflict. The UN experts, Morris Tidbal Bintz, a special rapporteur on extrajudicial summary and arbitrary executions, and Alice Jill Edwards, a special rapporteur on torture and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment, said in a joint statement in Geneva on Monday that independent investigators must be given the necessary resources, support, and access required to conduct prompt, thorough, and impartial investigations into crimes allegedly committed by all parties to the conflict. They urged all parties involved to protect civilians, comply with their obligations under international law, and cooperate fully with investigations. Nothing in this particular story indicating what the response from uh, either Israel or Hamas might be to that uh, particular plea. So it'll be very interesting to watch in the coming days what comes out of this particular issue. Well, uh, back to local news now. Social work students and uh, their professor were joined by members of the NDP in a rally outside City Hall today asking for access to toilets for resident protesters of what's being called the Tent City for Change. We'll hear from the NDP's Jim Din and uh, federal NDP president Mary Shortle. I will go with this sign here. All I want for Christmas is housing for everyone because in the end, it's about a permanent solution so people have their own bathrooms that they can use. That's what this comes down to. I don't think for any minute here, one minute that what we're accounting asking for really as as a long-term solution is basically access to the bathrooms in Bannerman Park. What we want is a housing solution, and the housing solution is due to a lack of housing, and that this is something that's a long time building. We know this. I've known it. I, fight, I fail to see how government has not known it over these last years. The second part of this is, it's the cities and the municipalities who end up with the problem. And it's the people, uh, people come into the uh, urban centers thinking that there are going to be supports available. It's not. So while we're asking that the city unlock the bathroom, I think it comes down to demanding that the province pay the security and the operational fund of keeping those bathrooms open. I'm not about to let the provincial government off the hook on this one. The people are camping in uh, next to the colonial building simply because the provincial government has failed to address the housing crisis. So rather than just let put this all in the city, Yes, unlock the bathrooms, but the province has got the pony up, not only for the city of St. John's, but all urban centers where people have come uh, into uh, seeking supports and not finding it, and communities out, uh, out there who have a homeless, uh, homelessness problem, and they need the supports. So for really about, I guess, long-term solutions, let's take a look at making sure people have a home. Short term, I think it's about time we look at a, an outdoor shelter similar to the one on Herb Street and other areas of this uh, country, uh, 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 more permanent structures, uh, about having a rent bank that we see in other parts of the country, and also about bringing in some sort of rent control and vacancy control to make sure that people are not displaced. 
So that is the NDP's uh, Jim Din speaking to a group of social work uh, students uh, and their professor who joined um, members of the NDP in a rally outside City Hall today asking for access to po- toilets for resident protesters of what's being called the uh, Tent City for Change. The city, meanwhile, says it made the difficult decision to close restroom facilities in city parks at 8 p.m. due to increased vandalism and health and safety concerns for residents and staff. The city says, well, it understands it is a complex situation it is not resourced to ensure the bathrooms can safely remain open at night and um, Jim Din saying that uh, really the provincial government has to uh, pony up here well that's it for us for today thanks for listening everyone we'll be back tomorrow do join us then bye bye for now